0: Please listen carefully. Hi, I'm Randy Cohen. I teach finance and entrepreneurship at Harvard Business School, and I sit on the board of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. I have retinitis pigmentosa, a degenerative condition of the retina. Here on the Dangerous Vision Podcast, we get a chance to talk to people who have something interesting to say about visual impairments and blindness.
1: Yeah, 30 to 35 percent, and for the general population, it's 70 percent then
0: I worry that I'm giving a distorted picture of the situation, that people might listen to this and think, oh, let's see, blind people are doing fine. Look, you just talked to a blind architect and then they talked to a blind lawyer and, you know.
2: (laughs) Facts and figures from the foundation. Randy is talking with Kirk Adams, president of the American
1: Foundation for the Blind. I know there's a lot of excitement about autonomous vehicles and blind individuals being able to access autonomous vehicles.
2: Using research and data... The foundation's mission is to advance understanding and champion
0: impactful policies and practices for the blind and visually impaired community. Here's my, here's your new number one research priority, Kirk. This is, this is the moonshot. All resources are going into this. I, I think this is completely doable. I want an app that tells me where the bathroom is in every public building in America. Kirk Adams is here from the American Foundation. Or the blind. Um, Kirk, we're going to talk about the name, and we're going to talk about lots of other things. Um, welcome to the Dangerous Vision Podcast. Thanks, Randy. I teach a course called Field X, which is a course for students who are starting businesses while they are in graduate school, and so um, it's uh, it's really really fun. We've got um, about sixty teams this semester, uh, about thirty of whom were in the class last semester, and so I've been you know steadily working with and helping them grow their businesses to the best of my ability. And then we've got about thirty new. Teams uh, and that's fantastic. In fact, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll mention one to you that, uh, that I thought was uh, super interesting, even though it's not uh, ex- exactly aimed at blindness, which is um, a student came in who has an app that translates American Sign Language. Um, and so, in other words, you can point your phone at somebody who's signing and then, uh, the phone will, you know, read the words to you or, or put them in print. Um, and, uh, I was thinking about a potential application if there are deafblind people who, you know, maybe, maybe they have a a tiny bit of hearing and, um, you know, so that they could hear something that's read directly into their ear. Uh, and then if they're spending time with other deaf people, it must be very frustrating to not be able to understand the sign language and that this could be a, a solution
1: there. Fortunate enough to have a wonderful uh, experience with the deafblind community in Seattle mm-hmm. when I was at the Lighthouse. We had 45 deafblind employees, and there's a very vibrant deafblind community mm-hmm. there. But um, Braille is uh, is a great uh, tool for people who are deafblind. There there are um, deafblind communication devices. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hoben Germa uses one. Mm-hmm. Who's a Harvard graduate? Um, so mm-hmm. to connect that connect that app to a refreshable Braille display would give for those deafblind individuals ah, who read Braille very some good. really great access. yeah
0: right right really good point right and then I could, could take out the caveat about about needing to have a little bit of hearing that's a great point yeah um, so you know that's just one example of the kind of fascinating ideas that, that the students are able to not just you know think of but but uh, execute on you know there's just so much talent here so it's it's uh it's incredibly fun for fun. me uh, to get to um, uh, to get to work with it. well following on that theme you, you know you mentioned the research efforts of, um, of AFB and I'd love to hear more about that do you should I think of that as you guys having a team of in-house researchers, or should I think of that as you funding yeah. research,
1: or, or both? Cool. Tell me about it. We have a team of in-house researchers, um, a director of research, um, some research specialists, uh, and PhD level folk, and we certainly love to curate other people's research. We um, Mississippi State University, for instance, has the Neidler funded. Uh, Uh, research center on on blindness and low vision. So we love it when other people do research, but then we, uh, we do literature review. We look at our issues. We will use the research that's available. Unfortunately, it's scant in, in many areas. And if we have a particular, uh, policy issue, we will dig into it ourselves. Uh Um, transportation is a really good example, um, when you look at barriers to inclusion for people who are blind, transportation always bubbles up toward, toward or at the top. Mm-hmm. So as far as, uh, employment, um, transportation barriers is always cited as the f- number one or number two reason why a blind person, uh, has difficulties in, in gaining employment. Oh.
3: Um, just being able to, just to being able to get there
1: is, is the, is the, biggest yeah, problem. you gotta get yeah. there. You gotta get there. So we, um, Uh, Volkswagen America um, commissioned us to do research um, on how do blind people currently access transportation systems in the US because they're looking to design their um, transportations of the future and their goal is to create transportation systems that build community Mm -hmm. and uh, to build community you need to be inclusive of everyone so they, they called upon AFB because of our special expertise in the blindness area to, to, to conduct that piece of research. Um, paratransit, uh, systems throughout the country. We're, we're researching there because there's a uh, legislation like the surface transportation bill, uh, mm-hmm. where we have an opportunity to insert some language that uh, may improve the, um, paratransit experience for lots, lots of blind mm-hmm. people. So, um, those are some examples. Uh, looking at employment, just trying to kind of um, size the market how many blind people are there in the country who um, are not in the workforce, who have the qualifications and desire to be in the workforce. So just really through comparing data sets and doing some some quantitative um, mm-hmm. work, we, we Estimate there's 36, 37,000 blind individuals in the country with bachelor's degrees or higher who aren't in the workforce. Yeah, so, this
0: is something I'd wondered um, about that, that 70% figure that you quoted earlier. I'd always wonder, well, is that including all adults? So that includes the fact that a lot of blind people are, you know, in their 80s or whatever, and therefore maybe not.
1: In- no, it's working age. It, it, it's working age, and really it's a workforce participation rate.
0: So, so the point is the, so, the workforce participation rate for blind people of working age is only 30%. Is that is that how I should think of it? Cr-
1: yeah, 30 to 35% huh. and for the general population it's 70%. Yeah, yeah. So obviously not every working age adult who sure. is not yeah, blind
0: is working. I agree
3: working that. right right.
0: so to uh, call it, right that's right, a, so right. it's important not to so, not to call it an unemployment right. rate that's a good point
1: yep right right the unemployment <laughs> rate is the you know the bureau bureau of labor statistics that's people who are actively seeking mm-hmm. work and um, in that instance you know the, the unemployment rate for the general population is somewhere around 4% right. and for people who are blind it would be double so eight or nine percent. I see eight or
0: nine percent of those. So people e- work.
1: E- either way, you're, either way you slice it, the outcomes are half right. as good or twice. Well, as bad.
0: or but 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 it sounds like in some ways it's a lot worse than that because what you're saying is right. If, if uh, of non-blind people, seventy percent working, a blind people, thirty or thirty-five percent working. Bad. That means right. there's this huge swath of blind people who aren't working, and then the point is only four. Let us say the gap between those two numbers is is you know thirty-seven percent, right? And and, and right. of that thirty-seven, mm-hmm. four of those people are. Bl- 4, 4% is actively seeking right. work-blind people. Right. But what it means is 33% uh, of blind people who, were they sighted, one could reasonably speculate, would be uh, would be working, aren't even looking, right? Yep. That they've just kind of yep. given up. I think up. you're
1: right. I think, I, think, I, think, I think you're right on. And then if you want to drill down another level or two, um, people who are blind, um, you know, research shows that uh, a high percentage feel underemployed. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the occupations blind people are in a very narrow band of occupations compared to the general population um, and the uh, folks are mostly an entry level or one one mm-hmm. level up uh, there's not a lot of upward mobility which means for those people who, who are working you know the average um, income is lower than the general population so uh, by by any measure it's it's um, it's a very distressing. Yeah, you know future. it's it's
0: interesting. I worry about it sometimes with this podcast because you know, in the end, I want to talk to people who uh, are really interesting, and so what I tend to interview a lot of is people who are, um, you know, who are very high achieving uh, blind people like right. you. Um, and then I worry that I'm giving a distorted picture of the situation that people right. might listen to this and think, "Oh, well, let's see, blind people are doing fine. Look, you just talked to a blind architect, and then they talked to a blind lawyer, and right. you know."
1: <laughs> I, I, I I can find you some people who've. You know, sent, sent out uh, hundreds of resumes and had dozens of phone interviews and. Or- extremely frustrated. yeah David
0: let's yeah. Let's, uh, let's uh let's let's let's, let's talk to her about that. I actually think maybe I should do an interview with somebody who's experienced a lot of frustration from it and I'm sure they'll have their triumphs as well to share but you know just to mm-hmm. get maybe mm-hmm. a more accurate picture across uh, across the sure. pot, it's it's a it's a it's a fascinating and really uh, challenging area on, on the transportation thing you know the the uber has been the huge game changer for me but of course a I live in an urban area where it's available and B, right. uh, you know sort of financially ubers sort of uh, although it's uh it it really adds up, and at the end of the month, I'm always shocked. But still, it it's worth it in the mm-hmm. context of you know what I'm able to to earn by taking advantage of the of the convenience Uber offers uh, or Lyft. I, I actually use Lyft a lot now as well. Um, but uh, but I guess the problem is obviously if you're talking about people who are hoping to get entry level jobs, if they have to you know spend uh fourteen dollars each way uh for 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 a rideshare, mm-hmm. that's uh that's going to wipe out half their income, huh? Right. It's really, um, it's really, it's really tough. And so, so, what do you think? If I were to say to you, what is something that is going to be um, available as a transportational uh, method for the blind that's going to be widely available, that is now only narrowly available, or that doesn't exist at all now, but will be narrowly available in ten years, say, uh, what should we look forward to?
1: I think the well, paratransit are separate systems that are set up by municipalities to deliver. Transportation to individuals who cannot use the mass transit systems, by, by and large. So people are blind, mm-hmm. people with um, severe mobility impairments, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. These are separate systems. Um, my thinking is that as we look as uh, at a as a society at at transportation, um, the single occupancy vehicle. We're we're seeing changes there with rideshare, um, more light rail. Mm-hmm. Um, my my hope would be that as transportation systems of the future are designed, that they're in, uh, that they're designed inclusively with in- inclusive design, so that um, all people can access transportation systems. I know there's a lot of excitement about autonomous vehicles and blind individuals being able to access autonomous vehicles. Um, we're, not, we're not focusing a lot of attention on that. Uh, our, our friends at the council and the federation are, are uh, really paying uh, close attention
0: there. Yeah, I'm fascinated by the autonomous thing because, on the one hand, uh, it's like it seems like it would be worse for me. Now, when I get to my destination, the driver can help me figure out where the door is and stuff like that. On the other hand, uh, maybe the price just goes uh, way, way down when uh, – you know, when when you're when you're doing an autonomous vehicle, like I, obviously not upfront when it's so when when it's new, but when but as it uh, becomes widespread.
1: But I don't know. Um, and again, Volkswagen, I mentioned earlier, they're they're thinking of transportation systems and community-based systems, and how does transportation create community? So I really I really um, resonates with me thinking about that. Um, I don't know what what is the future of the single-occupant vehicle in general. Mm-hmm. Will there be Single occupancy vehicles,
0: well, 25 or, or, years or, 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 or more, or single owner, right? Maybe, right. maybe what we're going to have is just uh, uh, millions of um, of robot cars, kind of, uh, you know, cruising, you know, sitting around or cruising around, and then you hail the one, you hail one
1: when you need it, yeah. right? So the 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 challenge is to understand where these systems are evolving and to make sure that they are designed um, with accessibility so everyone can access them. And that, that goes into things like artificial intelligence and um, you know, uh, unanticipated bias in, in how AI works because the uh, data points not reflecting the lived experience of blindness and then you think about virtual reality. And so all these systems can be so, uh, so liberating and um, so helpful if they're designed correctly. And if, if they're not, then we just create a whole new set of, of barriers.
2: You're listening to the Dangerous Vision Podcast, a production of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. Here's life as a blind person with Executive Director of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind, Sassy Outwater-Wright.
3: Today, I want to talk about cane versus dog. Yes, I went there. Now, Just because you're blind doesn't mean that you need a white cane. Why do we use a white cane? For a couple of reasons. One, it's safety. Safety, safety, safety. It helps you safely get from point A to point B and investigate things along your way. Know what's around you. Have contact with things around you so that you are orientated to your environment and you are traveling safely. Um, We also use a cane as an identification tool. It lets people know I am blind so that when I ask people to read something to me, they don't look at me like um, I'm an imposition. They just automatically understand, oh, she cannot see the print. The cane helps people around you identify that you have a disability, and that's not always a bad thing. I think we have a lot of stigma attached to that, Um, but sometimes it can be very helpful and very good, and it lets people know that if you run into them on accident, that you did really run into them on accident and it wasn't you know intentional it wasn't rude it wasn't that they weren't looking where they were going and so they can't look where they're going it's also the law when a driver sees you with a white cane in the united states of america they must stop and yield to you for safe street crossings that's the law it's okay to carry a mobility tool to be safe to be independent Yes, there is stigma attached to it. I am always identifiable as a blind person because I walk around with a guide dog, but that dog is my freedom, my safety, and my pathway to independence. That dog is how I get around safely and quickly. It helps me get from point A to point B. A king could help me do the same things. It is my choice to use a dog. It is the best mobility tool for my needs. Every person is going to answer that question differently. There are plenty of people who go start working with a dog and realize that's not the right mobility tool for them. There are plenty of people who start using a cane and realize that's not the right tool for them and they wind up using a dog. Please make the choice that works best for you and let other people make the choice that works best for them. And let's make room for all kinds of mobility tools and techniques in the world. They're all just helping us get there safer They're all helping us live proudly and freely as blind people, and that is a really good thing. For Life as a Blind Person, I'm Sassy Outwater-Wright.
0: Tell me more about, in terms of, um, uh, uh, research uh, generally things that are you know sort of super exciting that you see going on Th- things where you see a, a change happening in the in the near future based on uh, what you're seeing whether it's AFB research or just you know as you say you know outside research which uh, also you know who cares where it comes from if it helps us.
1: Well, I'll, I'll, I'll say the you know, voice technology, of course, and again, what's good what's good for accessibility is good for everybody. So. You know, blind people are used to listening to devices and talking to devices. And now the general population is listening to devices and talking to devices. And, um, you know, the Internet of Things and smart cities is really, really exciting. The city of Chicago is really a leader in, in thinking about smart cities and, and what that, that's going to look like and how um, accessibility can, can be uh, built, built in from the beginning to make ind- independence and opportunity for, for people with disabilities r- real in that landscape, um, mm-hmm. indoor navigation, um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: line, uh, GPS is really good. Um, the iPhone, the iPhone was the, g- the game changer. Yeah. And now uh, smartphones in general. And when you're outside as a blind person navigating with a cane or, or a guide dog, you can get pretty good information. Through GPS, and then when you go inside, um, not not so much. So, I think indoor navigation is a really interesting field of endeavor. And uh, again, this we, we need to think about not creating some specialized system just for people who are blind. We're a low incidence population, but how can indoor navigation systems benefit the, the general population, and, and thus? Be inclusive of people who are blind. So if you're in an airport, um, you're not connected to your GPS, and uh, you want want to know the quickest, best route from Gate A and Terminal Gate Ten and Terminal A to uh, Gate Twenty Seven and Terminal E. Um, That's you know information that many people would would like to have instantly on in their hand rather than scouring for signs and Mm backtracking and you know so so interesting a, a major lighting company has just acquired a Bluetooth beacon company so in, in, in the future there'll be bluetooth Bluetooth beacons built into the lighting systems inside of airports which can connect um, folks to to navigation blind, blind people inside of people mm-hmm. so I I think um, one of the Huge opportunities here again, and I, I talked about it in transportation is to move away from separate systems that are designed to make things accessible for blind individuals, but to create systems that are accessible for everybody. Yeah, I, I, and, and and that's exciting.
0: I strongly agree. I, uh, all right here's here's my here's your new number one research priority this is this is the moonshot. All resources are going into this. I, I think this is completely doable. I want an app that tells me where the bathroom is in every public building in
1: America. And I, how about the how about the paper towel dispenser? I, 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 that, that that,
0: you know, I, I, I'll take the paper, but frankly, I'm willing to wipe my hands on my pants. Like uh, the paper <laughs> towel dispenser would be useful. Yeah. Like I'm <laughs> always on a different. Place. I'll confess, <laughs> so, I have a tiny they're... bit of eyesight, so yeah. so because okay. of that, I if, if I'm in the bathroom, I'll be able to find the. I may have trouble finding the paper towel dispenser, to be honest with you. But but I'll, I'll I got I got backup plans uh, for that. But for the actual elimination, it turns out backup plans that don't involve using the bathroom itself. Are, are not acceptable to society, and um, and so I uh, and and here's the thing. I think that this is absolutely doable from a crowdsourced, you know, sort of ways type approach in which you get a bunch of people with the app, and then whenever they use the bathroom, right? If they just sort of hit the button that says this is a the bathroom, then the app remembers. Oh, okay, on the on the you know third floor of the right. public of the federal building in Wichita, Kansas. Uh, you know, and the you know if you go. On this hallway, this is that's where the men's room is, right? And um, maybe maybe the people would even enter into the app whether what where, where, you know uh, which which whether they use the men's or women's bathroom, uh, so that uh, so that they'll remember that, and then. And and I actually think if you just even got a few thousand people using this app, that very very quickly you'd be mapping uh, all the bathrooms, and uh, and it would be incredible. It would be so amazingly useful to be able to find that. I would say that is my number one uh, inconvenience uh, as a blind person because you know it's such an intimate thing that you know, and you're constantly uh, you know you're at business meetings, you're at social gatherings, and you have to ask somebody to take you to the bathroom. It's nightmarish, and uh, and and this is a really solvable problem. Um, I think I mean. I don't, know, I don't know that much about tech, so I don't want to delude myself. I, I wouldn't want to try to code it up, but, uh, but I say get your team on it.
1: Yeah, and I, I would just say super interesting point. I mean, there is a Blind Square, as an app that does something similar for outdoor navigation. Yep. It's a GPS based app. That's right. And, so, and uh, so now we look at indoor navigation, and we need to create some standards so that information can um, be seamless across apps and across locations. Exactly. So, for instance, right now, you could have 18 different apps on your phone. You could go into a mall. You could go into Macy's and download the Macy's app and get some information. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Find your way to Nordstrom and download the Nordstrom <laughs> app and get some information. Right. But uh, the, the thought of some protocols so that a na- person navigating uh, through those spaces could access all of the information they, they need um, in a seamless way is, is again, really exciting yep. the, the bathrooms could be part Yeah. Out. Yeah, I, I I really think.
0: In other words, I think this is doable without the participation of all the buildings and stuff. Although I also think it's possible to get the participation of the buildings. To be honest with you, in the same way that with Bookshare, you know, originally they just bought the books and went and scanned them and had volunteers do the scanning. Um, but now most of the books the publishers just send over the electronic file, and so that's much easier and cheaper for everybody, and the quality's higher. So that's been a huge upgrade. I think if we got this going. Um, Kind of bootstrapping it by having just the people marking and the I, bathrooms uh, over pretty quickly. State governments will say, "Okay, we're going to authorize you know a thousand dollars for every federal you know building to or for every state building to go send this information into into blind room <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or or whatever." And, and by the way, this again would be something everybody would want, not just blind people. This is not something only blind right. people would want.
1: Yeah, right, right. But circling back to public policy, mm-hmm. the publishers aren't doing that. Um, Necessarily out of the goodness of their heart, mm-hmm. they're doing it because laws uh, were, were passed that said, uh, and part of it was textbooks for blind kids. Because yeah. I, I was a, I was a, I went to school for a blind first, second, third grade, then into public school uh, before the Individuals with Disabilities Act was passed, mm-hmm. and I was not guaranteed my textbook. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I got it in Braille, sometimes I didn't. Wow. Sometimes I had a different edition than the sighted kids had. And, you know, laws were passed that said blind kids are entitled to their learning materials at the same time as sighted kids. And in publishing with the Marrakesh Treaty, publishers um, were required to make their Product available and accessible, so uh, that's yeah. It's a a, law. Don't don't discount law. Yeah.
0: So do you guys? Well, well, you know my uh, my candidate uh, for the best thing uh, ever said by anybody. So since it's the best thing I said, I should probably um, uh, memorize the exact words. But um, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan said something like this. He said uh, the the central conservative truth is that it's culture. Not law that truly matters in making a great society. The central liberal truth is that law can shape culture and push it in better directions. You know, and uh, and I think this is this is a classic example, right? What really matters is you know having having the yeah, viewpoint. Right. right. Every teacher in America now thinks it's just a given that of course blind kids need to get access, but they didn't think that way until somebody passed a law to make it clear, and then all of a sudden it seemed obvious. Now you could take the law away, and the fact is, in a lot of places, they would still do the right thing because it just seems obvious, but it just was not obvious until, so, so tell me about lobbying efforts. So, you guys, do you guys do a lot of, I'm using the word lobbying very loosely to refer to any, any effort to influence public policy? Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, tell me about what you guys do and what are some of the key initiatives right now?
1: Well, we have a director of public policy and we have a long history here and we collaborate with the other organizations in the, in the blindness mm-hmm. field and and there are cross-disability organizations. So really our our focus is to understand what the key legislative um, frameworks are that impact people who are blind, understand when things are going to, when there will be opportunity to make changes, um, understand what we would like to have added, what we would like to have changed. And then there's a lot of uh, what, what can be done administratively. Not everything has to be done through a, a law being mm-hmm. passed. Federal agencies um, have a lot of discretion to, to make it. Administrative changes. So if I changes in So focus. if I said,
0: what's the number one thing that kind of everybody wants to in, in the blindness community is fighting for and wants to see happen? And then I separately ask, what's the number one thing where there's sort of some controversy where some people in the blindness community think it's really important
1: and others think it's a low priority? Can you give me a, an example for each? Well, you well you should have a conversation with our chief public policy and research yeah. officer. So I'll, I'll, I'll do. You do I'll your do best, my but maybe we'll get him
0: on the pod as well. Him. Yeah. Or him.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's her. yes, it's definitely yeah. in here. Um, I, I think um, it's not in motion now, but the reauthorization of the Indiv- Individuals with Disability Education Act, um, which is long overdue, but that sets the measurements, the funding, the priorities for education of kids, you know, for a gener- for a mm-hmm. generation, and it ha- it was reauthorized uh, quite some time ago. So there's been a lot of changes in technology and a lot of changes in the types of knowledge, skills, and abilities that, that uh, all kids need to have. But um, as far as directing the education of blind kids, that, that's probably the yeah. the biggie. That's, that's looming on the horizon. I would say um, coverage of assistive devices by Medicare and Medicaid is pretty much universally um yeah. of yes. concern. It's a crazy situation
0: so, where like if it's a if it's a half million dollar surgery, they'll pay for it, but if it's a ten thousand dollar assistive device, they won't uh, even you know.
1: Well they won't pay for well, they won't pay for things with lenses. Yeah. So a magnification device, a closed circuit yeah. television, you know, not, not covered. If you want to support cane because you're have a knee injury covered, if you need a long white cane for independent travel as a blind person mm-hmm. not covered. So that you know that's that's again um back to your comment about policy and and culture um to have those devices embraced and, and accepted and funded and become more common and and uh you know, more ubiquitous you know changes perception and no. culture too. Um I mentioned autonomous vehicles quiet cars um a lot of concern about that with um, hybrids and electric cars, yeah. and the way that blind people are trained to um, navigate right. independently as you listen yeah. for traffic and you wait for the traffic uh, to cross. You cross with it. Um, you don't cross if there's traffic passing right. in front of you. <laughs> if there's a quiet car you can't the, tell. The, uh, the, the, you know so, the guys who like so, to ride the big
0: hogs, the Harleys and stuff. Uh, they say they say yeah, uh, uh, loud pipes Fair. save lives, right? They're they're very right. they're very proud right. of the of the noise their vehicles make because they think it uh, and and uh, I can't deny they have a good point. I also understand the other side where right. people say yeah we don't we don't like those noisy motorcycles, but I, there's a trade off there.
1: So the, the, there's work kind of universally across the space, you know, even globally to put some standards in place that require a- automobile manufacturers to deal mm-hmm. with that by adding some sort of external uh, audio, audio you um, output. Um, Service animals, I think, across the blindness space, um, rideshare is a wonderful thing. There are, there are problems with with uh, people using service animals not having the same mm-hmm. access. Now, legally, um, are you supposed to be able to take your your service dog into
0: yes. a uh, into? Uh, I say, but yes. but the drivers yes. don't necessarily go for it. That, there are, yeah. instances yeah. I've heard of that.
1: So again, a lot of it's about transportation. <laughs>
0: Well, the good news is, you know, uh, my understanding from uh, Generation Z is that uh, they don't care about transportation anymore. They all just uh, sit in their room uh, playing on their smartphone. And so, you know, blind people aren't really that disadvantaged when it comes to that
1: activity. <laughs> I'm exaggerating slightly. I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. To the, I'm listening to the traffic outside. My, <laughs> They're
0: know. still going. Yeah, people are still people are still moving around. All right, let me let me ask That's you right. let me ask you a question of another kind. I, I um uh. So as I mentioned, I still have a tiny bit of eyesight, but basically, many years ago. And I have exactly, exactly. So it gets a little okay. worse every year. And many years ago, I oh, got I to the point I. where I couldn't uh, read books on paper anymore. So then I more or less stopped reading books. Now, fortunately, at that time, it became possible to read uh, uh, articles and other things on the internet pretty easily. And so I transitioned most of my reading to that kind of stuff. And I'm really interested in sports and politics and culture. And so there was plenty to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I missed books terribly. And people would say, why don't you listen to books on tape? But at, at that time, on tape really meant on tape. Um, and even when it became right. available electronically the speed was sort of painfully slow I remember looking and seeing that like the the, the the last Harry Potter book was 17 hours as a book on tape and I'm like boy that's, that's, a, that's a long time for a Harry Potter book mm-hmm. um, uh, but of course then uh, maybe a decade or, or more ago I discovered Bookshare and totally uh, changed my life and now I read I don't know probably average three books a week or something like that because I can read them at, at mm-hmm. very high speed and so on and so forth um, upshot is uh, I missed a lot of great Books and I'm always looking for book recommendations. And in particular, I tend to ask people for entertaining book recommendations because if you ask someone for a book recommendation, they, what they tend to want to give you is a, is a book that's like a, a, a soul changing, you know, uh, life impacting, deep book. And there are times I certainly want to read a book like that, but I don't mostly want to read books like that. Mostly, I want to read books about you know, I don't know, uh, you know, badass military snipers and things like that. Um, <laughs> um, you know, uh, alien, you know, alien science fiction, but you know, whatever. Um, and uh, so, any, anyway, if you've got a, a book or anything to recommend that is just uh, hugely entertaining, something you you know you finish reading it, let's say, and, and you think, God, I, I'd just love to read that again right away. Uh, I'd love to hear about it because I'm always uh, looking for good ideas.
1: Sure, I just read uh, finished a novel called Gingerbread. It's by Helen Yoyemi, Y O Y E M I, and it's uh, it's hard it's hard to classify. I would um, like
0: you to try because I also recently read gingerbread <laughs> okay. and I really okay. <laughs> liked it but, but I honestly have no idea what really what happened. <laughs> Maybe you and I need to get a cup of coffee sometime. You can say no no here's what's going yeah. on. You see this failed, this person's related to well, it's uh yeah tell 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 our listeners a little more about it. I, I,
1: I don't know if I can give it. A yeah, you, know, analysis, you don't need to do that. Just give our but, listeners uh, enough
0: enough to get excited, there, despite the fact uh, that it's it's a it's a it's kind of it's a little bit of a mysterious book uh, and mysterious and wonderful, like the gingerbread in the book itself.
1: Let's just say there's a, a universe this author has created that um, resembles ours in in some in, in many ways, but differs in many ways um the the differences I, I, I think are around I guess it might be bad uh, magic realism but um, there's a lot of um, to me I, I'm a disabled person in, in the, our society I'm married to a African-american woman I'm Caucasian we have a biracial family so I think about culture a lot and uh, there's a lot of a lot of a lot of cultural elements and dynamics, a lot of stuff about power and privilege, um cast, um and it's all set in a um, kind of a rollicking set of adventures. Um
0: Yes, I think this is the key to communicate is it's is, fun. There, there, the book there, is extremely fun. It is there, not we're, may, we're making it sound there's too some, serious. It's really fun. Yeah. There's
1: <laughs> there's there's yes. magic. There's magical
0: gingerbread. <laughs> and so, obviously, the there's, use of magical uh, gingerbread.
1: There's tele, There's teleportation. There's talking dolls. Yeah. There's um, magic wells. There's um, yeah. all kinds of exactly. stuff. Exactly. Uh, I'm still I'm so, pro- yeah, exactly. I'm so kind of It's full of, it's full but, of surprises. Uh, I'm I'm recommend I recommended it as both are my grown yeah, children. Yeah my my
0: They're sort of really um amazing. my all my favorite books I I really I had this re- revelation just like a year ago that all my favorite books are books that are like very realistic in terms of detail uh, uh, but have uh magical elements usually just a little bit of magical elements but Gingerbread had a little more than i'm used to in my favorite books but uh but that's okay you know i like you it's good to have a range and um and uh and and uh, i'll just mention one one of my favorite things in the book and i'm i'm blanking on the name of the character so i'll just call her uh louise johnson so so there's a there's a young woman and she goes uh, to a new school for like 10th grade or something and uh, Uh, people will say hi to her. They're not unfriendly, but then they won't talk to her for more than a few seconds. They'll just sort of say hello and be nice and then move right along. And what she comes to realize, um, and I know you, you know, this this is for the listeners. Um, What she comes to realize is that uh, they are concerned that if they talk to her too much, then uh, she's going to kind of have expectations of them, that they're going to really be friends and she's going to start to come and like sit next to them at lunch and so forth. And so by not spending the time with her, they're trying to signal to her, um, that she's uh uh that that you know not not to do that and but she just like would be perfectly satisfied just to kind of have these uh lower level connections and she she wouldn't push it too far and so mm-hmm. she she said <laughs> louise had thought seriously about having business cards printed up that said louise johnson friend or acquaintance it's totally up to you <laughs> <laughs> right, and so, way. if that back tickles way. your uh, funny bone and and uh, like reminds you of experiences you had in life the way it does for me, uh, then I think you should follow Kirk's recommendation and, and read Gingerbread because it, it really is a remarkable book. Um, that's great. That is a that's a that's a that's a great uh, suggestion. Um, uh, so I, I like to ask our guests uh, to tell me their their very best or favorite story, um, and that can be any kind of story. It can be a funny story. It can be a touching story. It can be a story that had a big impact on their life, or just something wild that happened one time. Um, but I just figure I'm not a good enough interviewer to know the right questions to ask to get your best stories out of you. So I'll just uh, go go the direct route and uh, and and ask if you have a favorite story. like, well, you know, if somebody asked you to give a speech and and you wanted to open it with a funny story, or if you meet a new person and you want them to know what kind of person you are, uh, you know, tell us a story.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll try to, try to collapse this, but I, I was born a sighted child. I lost my sight when I was five both my retinas detached and I became blind mm. basically overnight and had a lot of surgeries that were uh, painful and unsuccessful for the six or seven years after that. And I did go to school for blind kids for second, third grade, Learned how to read and write Braille, use, use a cane, learned how to, um, Type on a typewriter, use an abacus. Um, this was in the mid-60s in Oregon, uh, run by hippies, um, backpacking down in the, on, on the beach, on the Oregon coast, up in the woods. I remember cutting wood mm. with a crosscut saw, uh, riding horses, backpacking. So just learned how to really be comfortable moving through space as a blind person and not thinking about it, you know, climbing trees and falling down and skinning your knees and those types of things. And then I started in public school in fourth grade. Uh, I grew up in little rural towns in the Pacific Northwest, and I was always the only blind kid in in my schools, and it was just sink or swim. And, uh, you know, I I swam pretty hard, and I learned um, a lot of, uh, of useful skills, like how to be persistent and resilient and how to advocate for myself. And... Um you know how to analyze risk and manage risk and be a creative problem solver. Uh, coincidentally, all the things employers say they need. So blind people uh, through lived experience of blindness develop, develop those traits. But you know, I also learned, uh, you know when I was 16, um, all my classmates got jobs and got driver's licenses. So I was very, became very isolated and uh, emotional, emotionally very distressed. And, um, so along with all those good things, I also, you know, learned how to cut, kind of cut myself off from my emotions and how to detach. And a lot of that happened, you know, happened, um, through being hospitalized as a child and surgeries. And so anyway, um, I'll digress a bit. I was talking to a therapist some years ago and she said, have you done much work around Childhood trauma, and I said, "Why?" She said, "Well, you you know you know he experienced a lot of childhood trauma." <laughs> so uh, I said, oh, "Okay." Um, anyway, I uh, performed well academically. I um, did well on the SAT tests. I lettered in cross country and wrestling. I downhill ski, cross country mm. ski, did a lot of stuff. Got a, a lovely uh, academic scholarship to Whitman College in Walla Walla, Washington. And prior to it was a small school about 300 students um incoming. And this was in 1979. You sent in a photo of yourself and a paragraph about yourself and they put it together in a booklet mm-hmm. and they mailed it out to everybody. And it was called something like incoming freshman directory but every, okay. everybody called it the lookbook. Uh, of course, yeah. Well, you know, the Facebook at, class class. at Harvard
0: uh, was where Mark Zuckerberg right. got the name for uh, Facebook, and and I guess you're right. right I don't know right. that it says anywhere on there Facebook. That's just what everyone called it, and and uh, even when I was there in '83, they called it they called it Facebook. And of course, in fact, everybody called it the Facebook, which was what he originally called the company. And then uh, I guess what the according to the movie, uh, yeah. it was uh, Sean Parker convinced him That's to drop the right. "the," right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Right. So. So my uh, my father and my brother and I were sitting at the kitchen table about a week before I was going to go to school and we were drinking beer and they were giving me some visual information about the young ladies in the book and um uh, my dad closed it and he said Rosalind Jackson West Seattle High best looking <laughs> girl in here and so my first week in school in a dorm in the cafeteria line I We were introducing ourselves, and a young lady said, I'm Rosalind Jackson, Uh went to West Seattle High, and I live in C section. Uh, I lived in D section, so uh, (laughs) my interest was piqued, and we uh, got to know one another, and we had a class together, and uh, we've been married Mm. 34 years now and have two delightful grown children who are doing great things in the world, so... That is, that is my story. favorite story. I,
0: uh, <laughs> I, I uh, yeah, I really really appreciate that one. That's uh, that's that's fantastic. All right, well I'll 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 tell you a quick story. Uh, which if I it's possible, I've told this story before on the pod. In which case, uh, David can cut it out. Um, but, um, and that is that. Uh, one years and years ago, I had a friend who liked to go to like. Uh, dark bars and nightclubs and things like that. And they were just terrible for me, right? Because even though I still had a medium amount, like I had some eyesight left worth speaking of at that time, not in these super dark places. And then on top of that, they're playing the ultra loud music. that goes, oonst, 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 right? And so you can't, so now I'm like total sensory deprivation tank, right? You can't see or hear. So I just stand around, but you know, I like my friends and they wanted to go. So I went, so one time, uh, my friend uh, started talking to a woman that he liked, and uh, by the way, this story is not leading to marriage, just so you know. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, my friend was talking to a woman he liked, and uh, she was with her friend, and he kind of wanted the friend to go away so he could, um, you know, make his uh, uh, his case uh, to this this young woman without the friend getting in the way. Uh, so he kind of, you know, asked me to, to uh, talk to the friend. And uh, I said, uh, and so I said to her, okay, well, you know, tell me something about yourself that sort of of uh, Unusual or or, or unique or, or surprising, and she said, um, she said, well, that's that's a really hard question, you know, to to just come up with an answer. Why don't why don't you answer it first? She said to me, and I said, well, I guess that's you know, turnabout's fair play. That's fine. And so I said, uh, okay. Uh, well, I said, you know that feeling when you just like clear your mind of all thought, and you just like you're just completely empty and kind of zen-like and calm and not thinking of anything. And she said, yeah. And I said. Uh, I don't, uh, not me. I, 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 I've never had that feeling in my life. My head's always buzzing with like a hundred ideas at once, you know? And, and, uh, and, uh, so it's uh, totally unfamiliar to me. And she said, well, that seems really strange and disturbing to me. And I said, see how good, see how great this was. It only took mm-hmm. us 30 seconds and we found out we're not going to be friends. <laughs> so I like your story better than my story, but you know, that was, uh, it's good to see both ends of the spectrum. That's how, I, that's how I see the world. <laughs> They are awesome. Well, listen, thank you nice. so, so much for coming on the podcast with us, Gary. This was really fascinating, and uh, and uh, I, it's great to learn about AFB, and it's great to hear about all the great work you guys are doing. So please uh, keep it up. All of us really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, and, any, and anyone listening, AFB.org. I'm a little bit addicted to Facebook, so send me a Facebook friend request, like the, the AFB uh, page, and uh, come to our conference. March yeah. twenty sixth and twenty seven. All right, Arlington Virginia, Virginia. Virginia. You we, the they, they should have called it
0: Lookbook. Then it would then it would fit even better to your show. But we'll settle for Facebook. So all right, well, that, so uh, exactly. thanks, uh, th- thanks so Very much, Awesome talking to you. All right, cheers, bye. Bye-bye. Absolutely, thanks, Randy.
1: Bye.
2: You've been listening to the Dangerous Vision Podcast, a production of the Massachusetts Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. I'm David Brown.